This is The Thirst Tank, presented by Trap Brewing Company. Personal lessons. I think it, it, well, we make it a beer about it, don't we? It's people, money, space, and time. Those things are so important, it's ridiculous. Never underestimate space. If you think that space is too small, it is. Hello, and welcome back to The Thirst Time, the show that takes a deep dive into the careers and journeys of some of the most creative minds in the craft beer industry today. Today's guest, we sit down for a second time with Adam Robertson of Verdant Brewing. Now, Adam was one of the first guests on the show, so if you haven't listened to that, I strongly urge you to go back, because this one very much feels like a part two. Um, the Verdant story is a special one. They rocketed onto the scene and quickly became one of the most highly rated and sought after breweries in the UK, uh, particularly for their New England style IPAs. Now, when we sat down for the first time, I really wanted to highlight not only the beer, but the amazing entrepreneurial aspects of their business. They went from brewing in a tiny shipping container to raising over a million pounds in crowdfunding, which is a huge accomplishment. And it's this side of the industry that I sometimes feel doesn't really get the focus that it deserves. Now, when you're on the way up, that's a pretty exciting place to be. But there does come a time when you reach the top and the business moves to a new place. Not only that, but the market matures. Great beer is more readily available than it ever has been. You can walk into any pub up and down the country and there's probably going to be a craft beer offering on the taps. So what then? And this is where we begin our conversation. Adam is one of my favorite people to speak to on all of these subjects as he comes at it with honesty and humility and has a lot of lived experience. So whether you're just starting out or you've been in the industry a while, I hope there's something to take away from this one. So let's get into it. You are listening to Track Brinko Presents the first time and this is our interview with Adam Robertson. get the newest yeah v3 and has taken to get it to a place where you're kind of feeling comfortable with it now you said i'm feeling comfortable yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god so what 2020 i think if we were in lockdown we probably had that conversation the canning line was essentially commissioned on the day we were told to go home. Yeah. I remember that wildly. And we closed the brewery for two weeks, you know, in, in panic and tried to figure out what we could do. What we could achieve, I guess, was the aim, wasn't it? It wasn't, yeah. Yeah. it was all out of our control. We couldn't really make many plans. We just had to see, see what happened in the world. And that canning line got rinsed for about a year it was unbelievable really you know everyone that did come into work essentially was packing boxes for the web yeah, yeah. um lucky i guess that we had jumped on the web game quite early so we had a, a good function and website that we could push the beer through um you know so that was i can't even remember how long that went on for maybe it's a blur it is, isn't it? A blur it of cardboard really boxes. A blur. Yeah. a blur of cardboard boxes. You know, I guess learning the kit mm -hmm. through all that time as well. I think initially when we first started brewing here, the beers were probably, in my opinion, um, started too clean. Yeah. You know, it was such a departure from the old site. And it took us a good six to eight months, I think, to dial the beers into how we want them. Obviously, new kit with a centrifuge. So the guys in the cellaring team were constantly changing process to learn how to use that to try and get back more of the flavor. I think we rinsed out a lot of the flavor through the centrifuge initially. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, those guys have done a, a superb job at bringing the beers back to what we think now are you know, really good beers. Mm -hmm. I think we hit a really good vein of form sort of last year and have continued that. 
It's not to say they don't still play with process. They do constantly, which is good. I think sometimes not so good, but for the, for the most part is good and keeps keeps us learning and moving forward with the beers. Um, you know what else has happened in that time? I, <laughs> so I much. There's so much. There's so I much. I actually for a long time. <laughs> Stared at your feet. Yeah. Um, I, I think, got told off for going on long walks. Yeah, there was. It was a crazy time, and I think why I really wanted to check back in with you is because because Verdant as a brewery is such an interesting example of you know you captured lightning in a bottle there for a little bit like it was the most hyped beer in the UK for sure. You know, people would be queuing at um, Canning Lines, and you were producing a be- beer that was. You know, way ahead. I, th- I still think people are probably just getting to to the standard of those like New England IPAs for sure. In the, in the UK, it was it was it was something that really pushed the scene forward. Um, and then yeah, you go from that one site where you know your processes and it's been dialed in and you've had lots of trial and error to a whole new site where you know everything's better, but better doesn't like still takes time it's <laughs> you so know? True. And, it's so and, true. and also by better we mean like you know the engineering may be better the processes may be better but actually the magic of beer is that sometimes it's these little tweaks that change everything nuances isn't it yeah the it's... little nuances so i wonder if you could kind of just talk about that that transitional phase and you know like i guess just to recap like what was going on at the old site um and how you transferred that old to over to the new because you, you you were selling pretty much most of the beer through the web shop weren't you at that time you had little to none for the I market i think well we definitely sold all the beer at the yeah. old site um through the web probably about 50 percent through the web yeah and then the rest went out to wholesale but it was always sold but you know that that site maxed out at three thousand three three i think it was yeah. hectoliters um, the new site, you know, in comparison, well, I, we've told this story before. This is forever home. So we went yeah. big. Um, learning to brew, you know, you're probably not asking the right guy, but um, learning to brew on this, I think, was pretty much, you know, bring what we know, use the kit. The, the kit was built pretty bespoke by James mm-hmm. and Rich. So they kind of, I think, in their head, knew the process before it arrived. It was then testing that theory. And I think, you know, the brewing process, in all sense and purpose, is pretty simple over there. Mm -hmm. I'm staring at the kit now, watching the guys. Um, You know, it's, you know, we, we did buy a big... Louder, well, smaller louder. So we've got two louder tons. We don't actually ever use the little one anymore. So that was a waste of time and money. <laughs> <laughs> we, may, we may use it for small beers. You know, small beers seem to be good value now, don't they? Um, so it may come into its own over the coming months. But in all sense purpose, we have a four vessel kit where previously we had a two vessel kit. You and know, we used. And a wooden oar, which we, you know, we used to whirlpool. <laughs> Get in there and stir the the, the work to create a, a whirlpool, which now, you know, we have a big machine to do it. Um, so I think in, in, you know, I think it's made things easier for us, if, if anything. I couldn't, you know, get, go into any mad detail on nuances of what they didn't like, what they do like. Yeah. Because... I don't brew anymore. You know, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't get involved over there. That is a James Heffron. He's ill. So I, I'd bring him in and ask him, but he's poorly. So he's not. To be honest, it, it wasn't really like the de- you know, cause you know, I'm not yeah. a brewer either. So it's not the detail. It's, I guess it's just the feeling of like that kind of step into something that in your head is way better. Cause it is a way better system. It's Absolutely. a way better system of working, but like I, I can still only get kind that of everyday stuff, you know, yeah. three years on every time I walk in, I look at it and go, japers. Yeah, because it, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's huge. Yeah, it is. And, and, um, and then and you go clean. from the, the humble shed, the humble blue shed that yeah. you were in before. Um, yeah, I think you know, I'm just I, so... I can, go on, go on. Sorry, I, I can go into, you know, I can tell you 
it's not been easy for the team. Yeah. Um, the team has grown massively. Um, you know, previously in, in the blue shed, everyone pretty much worked shoulder to shoulder and helped everyone on in their tasks. You know, you, you couldn't really move without bumping into someone. Now everybody has their sort of designated space and the mm -hmm. team has stretched out across the, the floor and they're not so close contact. And I think a few people struggle, but I think we all struggle with it. You know, we, we're seen as the office gang now, you know, whereas we used to be in a little room next to the kettle. Yep. And we were easily approached. Now you have to come upstairs. So, you know, it has changed things quite a lot. I think we've still got the, the team spirit it's all here we all still sit in the tap and our beers but definitely changed into more of a business you know in a lot of people's eyes mm -hmm. whereas before it was very small team all pulling together at the same time yeah and has that has that been a hard i guess like like you say when you are in a smaller brewery you're literally your office is on the brew floor and everyone's just yeah. like having conversations all of the time and tasting the beers and kind of like the back and forth. And that's a really beautiful kind of communal feeling. Exactly and I guess when that, you start yeah. getting the, the separation into the business, which is essential and it's really nice to have your own office to start, <laughs> to start on the <laughs> brew floor. Yeah. Yeah. But how have you managed to kind of keep every like the feeling of unity between the team because like you say everyone's got their roles now that you've got your cellaring team you've got your brew team you've got your packaging team um and it's a bigger space so what what kind of things do you put in place to try to keep that unity do you know what it's it's been really hard and i'm not sure we've been 100 percent successful at it but it's all obviously it's all about comms all the time mm -hmm. And I think we've let them down from time to time when they don't know things are happening. I think that's the worst thing is when people in the business don't know something. And, you know, that's as small as not knowing that somebody's coming in today and you're going to be sharing the brew deck with a guest. Um, you know, and we have got a lot better at that. We now have weeklies where we, we sit down, we send out an update. We use Slack for team comms, so everyone's on that. And we, and we send out as much as we can to let people know. But we've definitely failed miserably at times. Where, you know, it's hard to, to remember to do all those things all the time. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, we have changed. We've put people, like team structures in place. So there's line managers, team, team leaders, basically. So you've got the brewing team, selling team, packaging team, web team, tap team. You know, this thing, when we moved from blue, we were 11 people. Mm -hmm. I think now when I log into the HR thing we've got, it terrifies me. I think it's like 83. Wow. Across, you know, that's across the seafood bar, the tap room, schooners this summer, the mm -hmm. place on the beach. You know, that's a lot of people. So it is, it is really hard to, to manage that. But, you know, it's about walking around, saying hello, making sure that you are approachable, available, you know, I think that's the main thing for me personally. I, yeah. I actually go around and speak to the, especially, you know, team members that I actually manage personally get daily interactions. Mm -hmm. Are you okay? Have you got everything you need? And I think it's, it is as simple as that. So, you know, a lot, a lot of my time is that now, I guess. Yeah. Well, let's, sure. this is really interesting actually, because it's given me flashes back of, of what our original, um, episode was about which was the verdant story but also like the entrepreneurial aspects of what that entails which is growing a business you know obviously mm. you know when you think of a brewery maybe people think of just like producing a beer but you're hiring people there's there's different roles and also <laughs> I like you know this is the same for us it's just that the business aspect maybe wasn't the first thought of like what it was to start a brewery. It was creating a product no. that you are passionate about. And then as you add people, I always, the analogy I always use is, is kind of, you're putting down planks as you're walking, you know, like trying to, <laughs> you just. That's a really you, good analogy. And yeah, you're just learning as you go. And also like when someone comes in, that's not maybe being part of the core team, you know, like that 11 was probably very unified. Exactly There's an expectation that, yeah. that comes with being an employer and all of this comes with, which is, which is right. But yeah, but it's a total shift in mentality for, for someone 
like yourself as a director that you have to to move into and and wear different shoes almost well none you know none of us went to business school yeah none of us are trained in this we are learning as we go we you know we've brought some people in that work here that have better skills than us i think that's really important all the time to bring people in that are better than you um and and especially you know over the last 15 months it's just been terrifying running a business just watching the cost of everything rise Mm. you know it's been truly terrifying at times you know the the risk of failure has been so high of late you know there's there's very little wiggle room in the business yeah to be able to fail that you know that does keep keep you up at night but i think you know, we, we've put enough things in place around us, good people, that we all help and work together to manage it. And being open and honest with the team, you know, mm-hmm. if things are hard, they're hard. You have to let everyone know. Yeah. And I think, you know, working, selling more beer than we've ever sold and making less money than we've ever made. It <laughs> <laughs> you know, can be quite demoralizing at times. <laughs> Is that, you know? So I always, I, I mean, my laughter is not one of just like laughing at you. It's just like laughing with you because these are, these are the, the conversations and the only other guest that I've had on twice, Bruce, you know, we, we basically did a kind of rundown yeah. of, of what was going on in the industry and, and, and that's it. It's, it's this idea to work harder, to grow, but with it almost make less profit and yeah and make just, less and less money just watch your <laughs> your profits shrink constantly it's, it's kind of very strange so, oh. like, to grow is to shrink so if you look back again we're going to be doing a bit of reflecting and then we'll try and like, yeah. step into but you know it's kind of interesting isn't it that the, that the old model you had was probably like you know a really profitable way of working but was it sustainable you know, if I was truly honest, it probably was sustainable. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there is a a need for growth. You get to a point where growth is inevitable. You can't really escape it. And I think for me, what I've been trying to ponder for the last six months is what growth means from this point. Yeah, It doesn't have to mean liquid. You know, growth, you, growth can be so many things, you know, it can be the taps, it can be venues, it can be, you know, working on our green credentials, it can be so many different things, but liquid doesn't always have to be, you know, a new row of tanks doesn't have to symbolize growth. And I think that's quite hard to manage on such a big team. Yeah, And I think a, a lot of our team, would often question, why are we making more beer? Mm-hmm. You know, it's this constant need for new beer can can be detrimental to team morale if you don't explain to them why why we're doing it. So, you know, it's a big call for, there's a pause that needs to happen now that allow us to consider how we grow Verdant in the future and grow it well. And I think, you know, that's where we're at now. We've reached that point. We're selling huge amounts of beer, which is amazing. Yeah. But how do we make it better without just focusing on packing more product? I think that's me personally. You know, I don't speak for everyone. There is a need for more liquid within the business from other folk. Yeah. And I get that. That's true. And, you know, there are other beers we don't even make. You know, we've not touched on so many styles of beer. I always come around to that in my head and think, well, actually, yeah, maybe we could make other beers. But we couldn't do it here because we haven't the space. Yeah. And that's, you know, to think that we we moved into this massive space and we ran out of it very quickly. <laughs> Well, as you know, you know, Steph, breweries yeah. take up space and any space you have, it's like, it is like it's liquid. Yeah. You just fill it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there, there's so much to, to look into for the future. I'm just hoping, you know, that things plateau a little in mm-hmm. terms of being able to plan. 
yeah. having the ability to plan and actually see a plan come through would be wonderful. It's so interesting. There's so much in there that kind of was really fascinating to hear and something that I think, again, to reference Bruce, we used to talk about how growth, you know, like what is growth? You know, like how does it look? Because mm. actually if you change growth to maybe progress and you see like a, a brewery can grow out in its um, audience without necessarily growing up in its uh, production. Yes. And actually like some of the points you touched on were really fascinating, which is obviously when you do grow up in liquid, you know, a lot more comes with that. You've got more um, just raw materials and, and as energy has gone up, like more energy. And then obviously the taxation that works on it, it's like the, the bigger you grow, the more you tax. So there does become like these little moments where it's just like, actually, maybe if we produce this amount of fluid, we hit the sweet spot and we grow up and our growth looks different, which may be like venues or... or, or I think efficiencies, efficiencies is, is a big yeah. one. You know, because if you can make better efficiencies, that is a good saving for the business. Mm-hmm. And that's that's growth. I, I had a really good time last week at Gypsy Hill with, us, with that crew and especially Sam. And, you know, talking about what they're doing there and and how they're doing these carbon neutral beers, which is what we brewed a collab with them, which was, which will be carbon negative. You know, that to me is, is growth in the industry. Yeah. And it's fascinating. I think it's amazing what they're achieving over there with those beers. Yeah. Um, You know, just the regenerative farming of malt. When that malt lands in the brewery, it's carbon negative. And That's then you amazing. can choose choose what ingredients you put back in. So they're reusing hops. So How reusing- did, that that point was interesting when I read the blog post because like hop, like reusing hops, I've never really heard of in the industry. I've, it is fascinating. So essentially, they are reusing dry hop. So they've got uh, two centrifuges. Yeah. One of which I forget the name was the corkscrew, and I saw that in action. And that is spitting out powder. It is so dry. Wow. It's incredible. And that, so then they've had those hops tested and realized that they're retaining so much of their oils that they're perfectly adequate for hot side hopping on a new beer. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's huge advancement in in, in our industry. It is. It's a huge investment in one of those centrifuges too. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, you have to take your hats off to those guys for doing that. It's amazing. And the beer tastes great. You know, so you, you essentially, you start with a carbon negative beer, reuse hops, and then whatever you put back in dry hop adds carbon, obviously. But mm-hmm. if you go easy on the hopping, which, you know, we tend not to do, I don't know how <laughs> successful it would be. It's a on the sort of beers that we're making yeah. <laughs> but um you know they're managing to get the the beer into keg carbon negative they can't can it and maintain carbon um, negative yeah so canning is a different kettle of fish but they're still getting beers onto the bars in their area carbon neutral or negative yeah. which you know is the way forward and you you imagine with these things it only becomes more and more you know as as the one thing that the energy crisis brought was maybe a sense of like, how can we be regenerative in our own business? You know, mm. we haven't managed to to do it here. We've had issues with uh, roofs, so we couldn't put solar panels and, and things like that. But there was almost a forced hand of like, what can we do to, you know, save money that as a byproduct as well, or maybe as a focus, saves uh, energy and becomes a more sustainable model. Um and you know those beers for Gypsy Hill, if they can scale it and and get better on the processes, they don't they don't just make sense sustainability wise. They'll make sense financially wise. If you're reusing hops, like hops are yeah, you know, easily but, uh, the most expensive part of brewing, um, maybe energy and stuff. But like it's it's a huge saving. Well, that's the thing, and I think you know without being too. Well, not crass, but, you know, you have to look at that side of it. It is a saving. Yeah. You'll be using those hops twice, you know, so 
it is carbon friendly and it is good but it is also saving to the business and that sits in the efficiency camp and is growth mm-hmm. which is wonderful you know i don't know how the hop farmers will feel about it or not maybe not the farmers but you know the dealers um <laughs> Yeah, you know, people would be buying less hops if that becomes common practice. Yeah, it's it sounds complicated. I mean, like you say, like a centrifuge itself is is a big investment, but yeah. it's it's big picture thinking, and I'll have to try and um, pin Sam down for an interview because I'd love to hear more. You should about definitely that. do that. He's a fascinating guy. Yeah, and they're a big. I mean, you know, they're 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 based in London, which you need efficiencies because that place is like just your rent alone. I don't know how. I'll tell you the other fascinating thing about those guys. 80% of their beer in London. Wow. All local. That's amazing. Delivered delivered by themselves. Wow. No, that's a model. And what's what they're they're producing a lot of beer as well. It's not a small entity. It's a fair amount. Yeah. 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 It's amazing. And they've worked really hard at that. You know, it's not overnight. It's not just happened. It's been effort and energy. And that's probably down to Charlie. You know, he's a great sales guy. Yeah. It's really fascinating. I guess like that model of like almost hyper-localization, which isn't, you know, it makes the most sense. Again, it's something that makes sense. I know that for you guys, that's maybe been a little bit more of a struggle with the fact that Cornwall is such a tiny market. Um, it's, but, yeah. But you've countered that maybe with, you know, you now have three external venues other than the tap room. Uh, two, two external two. and okay. the tap room. Yeah, the experiment closed last month. Of course, yeah. That's yeah. a long story that I'm not going into. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good story though. Well, it lasted. Yeah, yeah it was. Again, those, that was yeah. that was a little that was growth. That was a total change in the industry when that place opened. That was a real moment, like a collaborative brewery tap room outside of your locality, which was in really fact, again that was you know back when we were tiny. Yeah, I think there was probably only six people in the brewery when we opened that place and you know we were a lot more flexible then that was just a whim we were brewing with pressure drop i asked them what they were doing with their old site they said it was empty and it was just sat there and i was like well we should turn it into a bar right (laughs) and they agreed five years in so you know we got five years out of it it's amazing and at the start it was crazy like that was you were selling a lot of beer through there oh man the amount of of emails we've had from people you know devastated that it's gone yeah and and asking if we're going to open somewhere else in london and you know the answer is yeah we'd love to but we can't afford that yeah because L- london is ridiculous it seems to me london is just set up for multinational businesses yeah so you know maybe <laughs> one day one day maybe one day a, maybe... a true focus like going back to the local thing cornwall we did everything in reverse. You know, when we started the business, all the beer left Cornwall. We didn't sell any locally, which is, you know, maybe a bit odd to hear. Maybe people know that our beer at the time wasn't really that accessible. You know, we would take it to pubs and ask them and they'd be like, no, nah, no. Nah. And the price point. So, you know, we grew the business outside Cornwall and now Cornwall is you know, the mindset has changed. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, we're, we're 10 next year. So 10 years into this, and now we sell a good amount in Cornwall, and it's growing all the time. And people, I think, know the brand. I think that's a massive part of it. So they know and have heard of us and ask for the beer. It's still predominantly the, um, the lighter beers, so light bulb and cask, lager, a few places take the the bigger IPAs and dippers, but very few. Sell a few cans to, yeah. to far, farm shops and whatnot, and bottle shops. Really good bottle shop in Truro that take everything, which is ace. So you know, but that business is growing. But it seems to me that Cornwall is just turning into a, a foodie destination. So it makes Absolutely. a lot of sense. Yeah, and you and you should be at the heart of that. That's the thing. And I think sometimes breweries, you know, aren't maybe considered in the same light as a winemaker or a food maker or a restaurant or something, but it, you know, it's, it's, it's raw materials to become a, a refined, beautiful product that yeah. is taking, 
years of care and um, and love to to create. And you know, Verdant is such a great. I don't know. Obviously, I'm involved in the beer scene, but that's such a part yeah. of like the fabric of Cornwall. If I think of Cornwall, I think of you guys now, which is, I guess, you know, was always important yeah. to you. I think you'll still be incredibly surprised of how many people that don't. You know, the tap room downstairs is not full of people that are verdant fans. Mm-hmm. It's full of people that know we're here, enjoy the beer and the pizza, and don't really know that where you know what the brand is outside of the tap room yeah which i love you know that's why we opened the tap room really it's a community spaces for everyone um but you know we, we would struggle to put a tap takeover on down there so you guys came down yeah and you wanted to bring some beers we would probably get 15 people that would be interested in that locally I should try this because I keep saying it. <laughs> <laughs> We've actually tried it. I'd probably, I don't let I'd probably be down. buzzing with so 15. Guilty. I think 15 <laughs> yeah. would be like a, a buzzing light in, uh, in Penrith. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's so much to kind of dive into. I guess you kind of touched on there that like cask beer has actually become quite an important part of your portfolio now and it's done really well. Um, the branding's really cool. What's that been like to, to become? Because that's, you know, if you look back at the Blue Shed, that feels like yeah. a, a really distant kind of um, product to what you were making back then, I guess. I think we just got to the point, and, and it seems to be the way we do manage our output, is that we got to the point where we were happy with the beers we were producing and the team had the headspace to consider thinking about new products. We always knew that we loved cask beers, I don't think we ever really discussed making a range. There was always talk of having cask specials in the tap room. When the tap room was developed, it was always four handfuls were going in. You know, for the first six months, that was all guest beers. Um, but I don't know. I think the opportunity came round, and to make a penpol, for for example, a, a single hop citra pale ale. You know, it's beautiful. It's all I drink really downstairs now is the Caspers. Um, so the opportunity knocked. And, you know, we're not making a huge amount. It's um, It all goes through some of the old tanks we had from Blue left over. So I think it's probably 40 heck, no, 30 heck batches mm-hmm. of cask, maybe once every six weeks. You know, we try and have them in stock, but it's it's not huge. And again, yeah. the price point. I don't, I don't really understand how, you know, most pubs are looking for a cask at a certain price and our cask beers are not at that price. <laughs> so it's quite difficult to, to make it a, a permanent line anywhere. People yeah. will take one and, and drink it and like it. But essentially the £3.50 pint is not gone away. Yeah. Yeah, it's a that's the I guess you know you could do a whole podcast on just like cask yeah. and pricing. <laughs> it's yeah. something that we've always you know like cask yeah. Sonoma. If if it made like loads of money, we'd be we'd be rolling in it. But we have to kind of keep production down because actually it doesn't make the financial no. sense that it should no. um, to do. Which is again is a whole podcast in itself. Um, and mentally, I'm going through that head that kind of thinking with low alcohol beers at the moment. You know, we yeah. just did a collab with Mash Gang. And the beer came out at the same price as a normal IPA. You know, and that makes sense because it was hot like a normal IPA. It's got all the same ingredients as a normal IPA. It's just got no alcohol. But I think the mindset for people is if it's got no alcohol in it and there's no duty being paid, it's going to cost us a lot less. Yeah, And it simply isn't the case. You know, these mm-hmm. beers are expensive to produce. So, we're, yeah, we're, we definitely want a low alcohol beer in our range, but I'm struggling with what that beer should be at the moment. Yeah, I guess you understand why people do lagers a lot, because mm. it's just, a, you know, it's the it's the base, it's the simplest ingredients yeah. and lowest cost, but it's just the amount of time, I guess, that we go into it. But Time in tank, isn't it? Yeah. Time in tank. But, you know, it's um, delicious too. Yeah, yeah. And I think they're, they're the most successful ones because they can hit the price point probably. Yeah. 
You are listening to Track Brewing Co. Presents the First Time, and this is our interview with Adam Roberts. Well, something else I really wanted to chat to you about, Adam, is like that that kind of phase three verdant thing, and, and it touches on the growth thing as well, is that, you know, you've put a lot into... Um, other passions of yours, which, you know, music, uh, literature. So like the, the White Rabbits um, publishing and, you know, you've been putting amazing shows on in the tap room, the Bruin folk. Um, are these like passion projects for you or is this that other view of how you see growth? It's both. You yeah. know, there's nothing better than being able to, to work on things that you're passionate about. But also it allows us to open doors to help people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've funded a couple of films now, which, you no know, way. those things are really important. We're not fund them, but help, you know. That's amazing. Um, and th- those are all local filmmakers. And, they're you know, they're making good stuff. So, you know, getting involved in those projects is good for the business. It's good for morale. It's good for the team. It's good for everyone. But it also opens other people's eyes to Verdant who may not know us. You know, reaching different markets, especially with the White Rabbit thing, which, you know, came out of a chance meeting at a festival where I met this guy, Lee, who's the editor at White Rabbit. And, you know, we just got talking. He was publishing an author that I was really fond of, David Keenan. And, you know, that all sprung out of pretty much a chance conversation and his snowboard. And he's amazing at making things run. So the My Life and Beer series that we're doing at the moment to one a month, you know, came out of Lee really saying to me, would you publish once a month? an article from our writers and it's a no-brainer for me it takes no it's no skin off my nose it's no it's great content i think they're a great read i think the big plan is to eventually when we have enough make make it into a book that white rabbit will publish hopefully um you know so there's so much stuff there that is reaching new audiences for us and then you know putting stuff on in the tap is is for the community really that's mm-hmm. for the tap room and getting people in and giving people good times we are trying our hardest to make them as accessible as possible so they're all either free or very cheap we don't look to make money on those events it's just about putting things on for people to come down and enjoy it's not easy stuff <laughs> <laughs> You know, I've never really done this sort of stuff. Yeah. And finally sort of getting there and learning, you know, the tap room. You know, a lot of people don't know these things are happening. So you have a load of people in the tap room and then having to tell them that they have to leave or pay a five or a tenner to stay because we've got an event on tonight is really hard. Yeah. But you can't close the tap room for a whole day because you have an event on in the evening. Mm-hmm. so it's about getting that news out communication you know the broom folk was part of that and then you know we wanted to talk to the people that collabs with us rather than just collabs had become a little muted i think mm-hmm. they'd just become a a couple of logos on tins as a marketing thing rather than a learning thing you know back in the day collab was about learning new processes so, you know, like this podcast, when we get people in, in the brewery, I want to talk to them, yeah. especially if they're not in beer as well. Find out about their experiences, what they're doing with their product and their creativity. But it's, it's, it's just opportunity, really. And that's almost become, I think, over the last year of doing Brewing Folk, we've nailed a process now where if, if you want to collab with a beer on us, that's great, but you have to invest. You have to yeah. come to the brewery. You have to do the podcast. You have to hang out. We'll take you out, show you Cornwall, you know, take you down to the seafood bar. But you need to come and invest in us as well. It sounds Not awful. Just, it sounds like such a bad yeah, deal. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it's so far away. And these people are, 
are busy people too. Yeah. So it's yeah. hard to, to make it work all the time. But most people that, you know, all the people that have come have been incredibly responsive and, and really enjoyed it. So. And all these industries do speak to each other in a sense of like creatively, you know, like from a brewery to a publisher, you'd think there's no link maybe, but there's so much that you can glean from a conversation. Um, And like, that's where like ideas spark. So have you found this almost to be a good like balance and almost (laughs) antidote for the really hard, you know, nature of what it is to, to own a business? Has this been Absolutely, like, yeah. you know, giving yeah, you something like your heart that desires like creatively? I think so. Yeah. You know, I am or was a creative once. Yeah. Um, Still so are. Yes. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it has, has given me an outlet that I can use to, to push the brand. You know, I, that's kind of where I see it. It's about Verdant as a brand. Mm-hmm. So when people see then they don't just think beer there's a, a whole culture around it and i think most of the people well not all of the people that we have had to the brewery fit the brand really well yeah there's definitely you know we're all, always riffing on the things that you know it would have been beer names back in the day and now we're actually getting to talk to people that sit in those worlds as well i think is is amazing and it's really really i think it's really important for a brand to manage that i think the word there is brand isn't it which is yeah. like a shift from brewery which is like mm-hmm. you know it's actually you become an entity with ideas and community around it yeah that that uh invest in you and you invest in them and then it's this constant kind of like symbiosis this it's a relationship and that's you know exactly that yeah and having you know you, you must get the emails as yeah. well as we do where people are saying i've got an event coming up would you like to sponsor it and usually they're about three days away and it feels like they've just forgotten and they want some free beer. Yeah. This is more, you know, this is long-term partnership building with mm-hmm. people. So, you know, when they do have events, we're the first people they think of to help with the sponsorship or provide some beer or, you know, get involved, put a show on. You know, it was amazing that Lee wanted to do his summer party for White Rabbit here. That's it. That is awesome. Yeah, and it was a great night. You know, yeah. everyone had a lot of fun. It's um, it's and just, old uh, yeah. old Mister John Hopkins just just popping in. Yeah, John popped in, did a show for us, which is amazing. You know, again, just met John. Well, I think John had worked with uh, Burnt Mill. Yeah, well, I the, met him. I met him. It was a real surreal moment because uh, he came to pour his collab at Little Summer Beer Bash that he'd done with Burnt Mill, yeah. and I was like. And I was talking to John Hopkins and he's like, oh, I like your Gold Top series. And I was like, that's really cool. <laughs> like, <laughs> I absolutely love so your music. It, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His, yeah. you know, immunity and stuff is just, just unreal. Um, but what an amazing thing to yeah. be able to collaborate across those two mediums. And he was so into it. Yeah. You know, and again, he, you know, he didn't just come and play. He, he brought friends with him that played you know they put on a night a whole night a good show you know it was incredible we met some amazing people that night and had a blast and you know that friendship won't end yeah you know that's a constant so you know those and, are and the, the concept there was a really interesting because he's very conceptual kind of guy and mm. the uh, the it was the nine wasn't it that kind of led yes the whole so, beer along i can't remember the whole um I think, you know, every ingredient was added, was divisible by nine. (laughs) I think there was something in the temperatures. Everything was nine. They went into fermenter nine. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It was a beautiful beer as well. Yeah. A bit pokey, but it was 9%, wasn't it? It was 9%. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We can't do that anymore. I think in his... um... His post about it, he said, yeah, I was just, it was when I was working with Brian Eno and this, the number nine kept coming. I was like, all right, cool. Yeah, you're working with Eno. Yeah. I was um, lucky enough to see John play live at the weekend. Oh, man. Yeah, it was very good. Yeah, very, he's amazing. What, so if we kind of do the, the reflection of the two positions, if we look back and look forward, you know, could there's a lot of people who will be 
either just starting their journey as a brewery or maybe they're like going into the next phase. Are there like certain lessons that you would just be like, this is what you need to focus on? Or in fact, scrap that. What's the personal kind of lessons that you've, that you've got? Personal lessons. I think it, it, well, we make a beer about it, don't we? Yeah. It's people, money, space, and time. (laughs) Those things are so important. It's ridiculous. Never underestimate space. If you think that space is too small, it is. Go, you know, get as big as you can. Even if you put a tiny brew house in the corner of it, you will grow into it. And then focus on your beer is, you know, I think those things, they may sound obvious, but if your product isn't as good as you're telling people it is, I think you get found out quite quickly. Yeah. Very quickly, actually. And I don't know, I don't I struggle, I don't know about you, but you know, has the hazy lost its, you know, its hype, its mm-hmm. charm, its charisma? Still lovely beer, you know, I absolutely adore it. But I don't see the clamber for it as much as we used to. And I don't think we, I see the clamber for the beer as much as we used to in general. You know, I've been to a few festivals this year and you don't see that, you know, running around looking for the hype beer mm-hmm. as much as you do. Maybe you're still doing the States and still look at some sort of on Instagram and go, no, it still happens. But, you know, queuing up at one stand for an hour to get a third of beer, maybe that's diminished somewhat. I think there's huge transition. It was actually funny. I was talking mm. to Paul um, Cloudwater from Cloudwater, Paul Jones, uh, the other day, and he'd just done a big road trip through the States. And I was like, you know, he's, you know, he's very well traveled and he was there, you know, first trip was 2016 visiting breweries in, in the start of their journeys and things. But he said, there's a big shift out there. You know, tap rooms are not, the same as they used to be. He did say yeah. that like, um, you know, there would be breweries complaining that they were only getting, making 30% profit or something. And we'd be like, <laughs> he'd be like, oh, sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> sounds terrible. Um, uh, yeah, I'm sure you're going to work it out, that kind of thing. But it's interesting. It's transition. I guess the, mm. the products become more ubiquitous. Breweries, you know, I don't know, other half, for instance, you know, I've got multiple sites. Yeah, how many have they got now? Three? Uh, Yeah, three, you know, brewing a lot more beer. I guess that's because of state laws, moving beer around. Yeah, Yeah, I don't don't know the details, but yeah, everyone's grown effectively. And then it's like we kind of touched right at the start. Then what does growth become? You know, what is Mm. growth as a brewery? You can keep making more liquid, but the challenges only kind of get harder and you have to hire a bigger sales team and, you know, you actually probably start cheapening the product because... I think that's exactly right. Yeah. Big I think the more you produce, the more, the cheaper you have to sell it. Yeah. Um, You know, I think, you know, we're standing strong, you know, and to our word that we don't want to go into supermarkets. But, you know, there has to come a point where you hit the peak and those are your only options if liquid is the only way you look at growth. Yeah. And I want to avoid those as much as I can, really. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but that's, that's, where, where... that's where the other stuff becomes important because you have to stay, you have to unify a team to stay interested in what you're doing. Yeah. And you have to do it without growth of like producing more liquid being part of it. So that's, I guess, or, that we, or we do make more liquid, you know, yeah. I don't know, you know, maybe, maybe that is, you know, I, I'd rather exhaust all other options, you know, efficiency, sustainability before liquid is the only way. Yeah. Um, Cause things will have to change if we produce much more beer than we are now. So, you know, it's quite a, a, a shift you know we're growing up i guess i think it's growing up you know the, the industry has seen a shakedown yeah over the last year you know fair few breweries closing and couldn't manage to get through this really tough time and some lessons from like because it wasn't just smaller ones you know like you look at wild mm. beer or something like that it's like that was a 
you know, that was a substantial brewery. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't exactly. just a couple that, of guys producing a bit of beer. Yeah. No, so, yeah, I think we've all all grown up a little bit. I think that sharpens the mind, doesn't it? To, like you say, we're laying planks as we go, but I think maybe we've got eyes on the future mm-hmm. a bit more now. You know, we kind of know what some of those planks might even look like. <laughs> they may have been sanded and uh, treated before you put them down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not just chipboard. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that feels like a good point to kind of look towards the future then. I think we've probably touched on quite a few of the elements that you'll be focusing on. But, you know, how does Verdant look in on, on a five-year plan or on a, even on a, a year plan? You know, what are the things that you want to strive towards and and hope to see um as you reflect back on the last five years okay so i could do the next year quite easily um we've got nitrogen generation going in very soon that's imminent so that will reduce our need for co2 and to buy nitrogen we currently use a lot of nitrogen to move the beer around but um we can produce our own nitrogen, which would be great. We've just been successful in a grant for carbon recapture. So hopefully that kit will be with us within 10 months. That's amazing. And installed. Yeah, I think that's a big step. You know, I think with the nitrogen and the recapture, I think estimating around 80% reduction in CO2 purchasing. Um, and no CO2 just being wafted out into the environment. Mm-hmm. So that's that's fantastic. Uh, venues, I think, is going to be big. I'm not going to give too much away on those, but we are definitely looking at possibly two or three new venues oh, wow. by next year. Um, so there's a few opportunities that have come up that we like the look of and are, are talking with people. What we do with them is the big, you know, question mark. We've never been ones to just consider sort of identikit rollout of bars, mm-hmm. you know, Aloe Weatherspoons or Brewdog or whoever it is. Um, each one we want to be its own unique kind of little space. So that'd be interesting to see how we manage that over the next 12 months. And the future. I think, you know, I think I'm still, we are still looking at selling the business to the staff as a, a employee-owned trust mm-hmm. and hopefully doing that within the next three and a half, five years. That's amazing. I'd say. Yeah, you know, again, it sounds lovely, but it's not easy. Yeah. You have to, you actually have to be making money to do that. So, you know, maybe that should be step number one. Make, Make money. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's kind of the base yeah. foundation of, of, of yeah. it all. Um, that's really interesting, man. Yeah, I think the, the sustainability thing is something as at track we, we really need to, to, to look into. Just for on, like you say, on the efficiency sense, but it's always just these things take a lot of capital to achieve. And it's big picture mm. stuff. I guess it's, you know, over the course of time, it's going to save you. It's going to save you money. But there's the outlay, yeah. the original outlays <laughs> is um, you have to have that to do it. Yeah, they're crazy. This grant, you know, it's a chicken and egg thing. So we're currently in the, at the point where the, the awarding of the grant is down to some due diligence where they're going to, actually see if we can afford to buy the kit ourselves. Now, if we can't afford to buy the kit ourselves, which we can't, they will give us the grant. But we then need to buy the kit and they pay us back. Yeah. Which we <laughs> can't that. afford to do. <laughs> yeah. That's which it. Every don't. time I've, sp- I've spoke to some about it and I'm like, there's grants this, there's grants that. And it's always, but there's like 70K outlay and then you'll yeah. recoup. But, and it's like, well, yeah, that's we don't have it. We don't have that. Yeah, we don't have seventy <laughs> k laid around. Um, yeah, yeah. The mechanisms of that are, are tricky, but it's it is big picture. But I, I understand it. You yeah. know, they they could just give that money to somebody, and they never spend it on what they said they'd spend it on. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I guess the like maybe maybe last thing, and again we touched on it a bit is just how you're going to be touching ten years soon. That's that's crazy. Next year. Next yeah. year. Wow. Um, that's amazing, man. You should be very proud. Um, you know that's ten years since we registered the business in company's house. Yeah. So you know a year and a half of those 10 we were making beer but we weren't selling any beer yeah so let's just revisit that for a moment in a really condensed form can you just give us like point a and point now i guess you know like that 10-year journey um yeah 10-year journey that's bonkers isn't it it um you know brewing i always struggle with this because it's so hazy now we started brewing in a shipping container with a 200 litre pot and three fermenters. We then took that kit and moved it. We were bottling all of that. So that was just like a this weird test phase, which we did for about six months where we just, we brewed once a week we packaged once a week and bottled the lot and they, and then just gave it to friends, and, you know, and drank it. And they were all single hop pale ales. So we were like testing hop flavors. And then we started blending hops and, and trying them, just making beer that way. We moved that kit to a unit about a mile and a half away from where we are now, two miles, um, and bought three more fermenters, which meant we could brew twice a week. And at that point, there was me, James, and Rich. And we took it in turns, taking a day off from our day jobs to do the brew or the packaging. So that, again, that was... And we were force carving those kegs. So that was all kegged from that point on. We didn't make any small pack beer. And we turned a chest freezer into a force carbonation unit to keg the beer. And that's at that point we started selling the beer and madly we sold it to Bruce. Yeah. So Bruce had big beer at the time, which was his distribution company. Um, and he shortly after that opened small bar. So a lot of the beer was going through small bar. I used to deliver the odd keg here and there to London and, um, Bristol. And from that shed, I think we're in that shed for about a year, year and a half which we then did a, a friends and family crowdfund, raised a hundred grand, bought the 10 barrel kit, which was exactly the same as the 200 liter kits from the same company. So it was all just very manual. Moved into the blue unit in Treganigi in Falmouth. And you know, I've got the photos of that when we had just the, the brew house in there and six little dish bottom fermenters and slowly just filled that space up with bigger fermenters. We got some help buying fermenters. I remember from Honest Brew, sadly no longer. Yeah. Um, you know, just filled that place up until we couldn't get anything else in there. I remember getting the canning line. That was, you know, incredible moment after using mobile canners for maybe a year. Um, and then realizing that we had to stop using mobile canners and went keg only again until we could, you know, raise the funds for this little canning line. The age of we mobile first, canners, yeah. Yeah, we got the first <laughs> micro can line. I don't know how many that guy sold now. It must be hundreds, mm-hmm. hundreds. Um, and then, yeah, it sat in there for two years, I think, bursting at the seams, um, and then did the crowdfund, the big crowdfund. To, to get this place, you know, where we raised the 1.3, um, used that capital to raise more money, bought the building that we're in now, bought all the kit. Rich lived in here, making the site, you know, getting all the, the services ready. Kit got delivered. Kit got installed. Lockdown. Boom. <laughs> there you go. That was it. And here we are now. What? Two years, like three years, three years after lockdown. It's and it's a, a roller coaster. It's a roller coaster, really but is. also something you should be, you know, the, the bits that were kind of, I guess, missed in that is just like what 
oh. how your beer totally changed yes the game over, like the, and the, the ex- and the excitement i guess of, of a of a new industry almost you know i mean not obviously i think it was not new but it was yeah to 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 i guess it's the u.s beer culture coming to the uk which obviously u.s beer culture is yeah grown out of uk beer culture anyway i get lost in that but and i say james needs to take all the credit for that we all wanted to make that beer but that guy you know was incredible at figuring out how to do those things yeah and over the years, just constantly changing and making adjustments until we got to the point where, you know, we we were happy with the output. You know, and then the, the whole yeast thing, having our own verdant yeast, you know, that was huge. Yeah. Moment. That's all down to James. You know, those things, he is a, a bit of a master at his craft. Absolutely. We're very, very lucky. And, um, but I say this, yeah, uh, you know, I know it's been really hard and these, these last years especially have been incredibly challenging, but well, five years are really if you get into COVID as well. But, and I said this on the last podcast as well, but just like, you should be really proud, man. Like it's an incredible achievement to go from pots and pans to mm. a multi-million pound setup that turns over, turns over a lot of money and also, you know, supplies jobs and livelihoods for 83 absolutely people. that i'm so proud of that yeah you know i couldn't be more proud of the fact that we do employ a huge amount of people and um, you know we're given them opportunities especially in cornwall as well which is yeah the lowest is yeah. it the lowest um kind of gdp as a county or something in yeah, it's got a like few yeah. few amazing stats <laughs> that it that it's really bad at. <laughs> it's like the population's tiny for the size of the county. Yeah. It's incredibly seasonal. It doubles its population for yeah. the summer, which is just bonkers. And yeah, and then we've got kids out there that have never been to the beach, that have lived here all their life. What? Yeah, you know, it's it's that crazy it's wild there is a huge disparity in wealth and poverty mm-hmm. in cornwall you know you know i'm not going to go into that you can watch instagram for that but, yeah. um, <laughs> but there's a there's a uni- there's a unifying factor that you wanted to bring in as a brewery and i think you know it's it's great yeah. to hear that it's starting to grow out into the into you know the cornish kind of um psyche psyche yeah yeah, yeah. That, and that i think that is the brand you know let's go back to that but building the brand is very important in mm. that respect and you know having a brand people can trust is massively important yeah and can align with you know we, we're not really ones for shouting too much about you know our sustainability credentials or anything but we do you know, hundred percent constantly strive to be our best mm-hmm. and do well and our, and the best for our staff and everyone. And that's a huge part of what we do. I don't know. Too, not too much virtue signaling, I guess. We don't throw it around so much. Yeah. But I think that authenticity breathes out into, into the market and into the world and, mm. and anyone that knows you guys and, and respects you as a brewery knows that i think so yeah i hope so and i hope you know if you ever meet anyone from verdant that you you get that vibe and you feel and you see happy people that's really important it is and you've done it you've done it man this is how i think this is how it's not the last one it's just like you've done it (laughs) you've got to this point you're still here yeah through all the trials and tribulations that have been thrown at you um I think that's a good Let's place to... Let's just pray for some, you know, it'd be nice if we just had some consistency. Yeah. I think that's all we're all craving for. So yeah. we know where we are. Yeah. Like even this year, it's been a roller coaster. sales-wise, you know, it's up and down. and It's just have amazing months and then nothing. It's, <laughs> it's just, yeah, you know, just a level of consistency would be lovely. Absolutely. Yeah. Just knowing how much things cost for just a little bit more time. Yeah, than six exactly. Months or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Adam, thanks so much for doing this, mate. It's uh, it's oh, been great, you. great to catch up, um, and I look forward to the ten-year anniversary of Verdant. And yeah, we'll have some parties planned for next year. And that's it. 
another episode done. A massive, massive thank you to Adam for joining me on this one. I hope you took something away from that one. It's always fascinating to, I guess, take a retrospective look back at what's been, but also look towards the future. And for Verdon, it's so fascinating, obviously, having their new home and settling into that and seeing what the future looks like as a bigger brewery with a lot more people on board. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much, Adam. Uh, As always, it was a pleasure. We'll be back soon with another episode. But for now, stay thirsty.